you read English at Oxford and planned to write your PhD on Henry James and moral bankruptcy. Yep. Um, my first question is, with that background, how did you come to work in fashion? Um, stories. I think I'm somebody who, a bit of a pathfinder, um, um, working my way through a narrative line, um, trying to find that, that truth. Um, so my voyaging through literature, which was an extraordinary journey at Oxford, led me to um, a writer who questioned at every level truth um, and people's intention. And I find I'm doing exactly the same thing at Chanel, where I'm questioning every surface and uh, to exactly the truth of what a designer is trying to articulate and how it touches people, whether they're moved, how they feel that they could be transformed or be that other that is suggested by the designer. I find the whole process of fashion, um, it's, a fas it's, it's a fascinating quest of discovery. Discovery or rejection or abandonment or transformation, it's just endless and it's happening second by second, fractions of seconds of nanoseconds everywhere all the time. You were a junior fashion editor at Harper's and Queen in the early 80s and then began collaborating with the designer John Galliano in 1985. Can you remember when you first met John? Um, absolutely. I'll never forget that. It, um, it's sort of etched into the back of my eye. Um, I remember exactly, I remember feeling this frustration. And I was walking with a friend um, in Covent Garden down from a shop called PX. And I wanted to do an ankle. I wanted to do actually, um, wasn't exactly um, 18th century, it was really a 17th century shoot. I wanted something royal, but something, something extremely refined, but something also very destroyed. And I couldn't find it. Everything had a sort of very hard machine edge. It, the new romantics, close up, um, it didn't have a sensibility of cloth a delicacy, that a, that a scratchiness or a, something frayed that I really wanted and I was missing that sensibility and I was explaining to um, this friend, she was called Debbie and she worked at Lynn Franks, I need a collection where the ribbons are stained with, with blood, that there's a sense of history, there's a, a sense of real emotion embedded in the clothes. She said, oh my God, you should see this this student that's just shown his collection at St Martin's called John Galliano. I'll tell you what, I'll give you his number. So she gave me his number and I rang him up and I said, you know, why, can you come to tea? Which actually was an excuse to have him to come to my flat. So it wasn't in an um, intimidating, um, you know, office fashion room situation. S some instinct told me that he was very sensitive and shy, and some instinct told me that he would become one of my greatest friends. And so we sat and had tea, and the light thickened outside, and the sky turned navy blue, and it was probably about one in the morning when we finished. And I've, I mean, I've told this story a lot of times. He, 
he brought his drawings and his research and his paintings and his scraps of fabric and his story that he'd based his collection on, which is Les Incroyables and running riot in the drawing rooms and pulling down the, the curtains of the nobles who were having their heads chopped off and making the dresses out of them. And suddenly he was somebody who was talking, speaking the same language. And um, I, my, my feeling was, I don't want to let him go. I can't possibly exist without him. Because he electrified everything that I'd felt, but hadn't somehow been able to, you know, here it was, here was the clock, here was the stuff, you know, that I dreamt of. Um, and I remember I was uh, freelancing, as well as bizarre, I worked for The Face and ID and I think I did something for The Times and the whole, anyway, Malcolm McLaren had asked me to style this, the record sleeve, back then in a day, um, of Madame Butterfly. And I asked John if he'd help me. And that became, and we worked on that together, and we got a huge fan from Chinatown and lots of bits of, um, of tore up bits of uh, Chinese, you know, Chinese Morning Post and stuck it all over the fan and then dribbled dark red calligraphy and gold. And we made actually a beautiful thing, just a beautiful, very fragile, ephemeral, symbol really of Madame Butterfly with all her heartbreak and um, it was fantastic. The shoot was funny actually because Malcolm was there and I watched John style, I watched him put on a v-neck maroon sweater, um, pull it on like a skirt and tie the, the arms under his bum just like a duck ass which became a motive and you know, in, in his collections um, all the way through for that shape of the skirt. I think the difficulty a lot of people have is not so much with Carl, but certainly with John giving what you do a title. I remember John saying that it was about kind of touching base, really putting everything together and really, you know, working the whole thing through. Whereas I think this idea of talking about a muse is maybe someone that you see twice a year or, you know, someone who can kind of breeze in and inspire as opposed to someone who's really there working and actually determining the look alongside a designer. Mm. I mean the thing about, I mean the muse classically, the muses were <clears throat> the inspiration, the musical or you know, the, the classical muses and they would come and go. They wouldn't actually make the things, they wouldn't have their, they wouldn't get their hands dirty and as you said they'd breeze in and they'd breeze out. Um, I'm, I, I don't think I'm a muse as such, although I think I can help pull the trigger. And I really like getting my hands dirty. I love getting stuck in. And I love being able to unravel a tale. I love to, ha from, I don't know, from, I like making phrases that tell a story out of the fragments I'm given. Um, John would say, um, yeah, I've got this idea for like little, little pinstripe suits. And I'd say, well, they're, you know, they're little honcho girls. They're, they're there in the bar and they've rubbed up against the brick of the wall, of the wall at the back of the bar. You know, they're tough little kids with their little papier-mâché hats. And 
the chalk mark, you know, the brickworks made marks on the back of their jacket. That's how we'd work together. The thing is not to be afraid and to be able to say, I see it like this. I think the most destructive thing is fear where people won't say what they think they see when somebody suggests something. And the chorus of, oh, that's so beautiful, is very dangerous. Um, I want to ask questions. I ask questions of Carl. Um, and I think I work in a similar way. Are there differences? I was going to say I'm sure there are similarities, but I'm probably more interested in the differences between working with, with John and with Carl. Um, Carl. Carl sees it as... I've always... I mean, I think my... Sort of my allusion to Carl as a jet fighter by pilot is correct. He sees very far ahead. He's two collections away. So he's designed his set, so he's already... And that comes entirely from him. I can express what I feel about that set, that it is, for example, for the Chanel, the couture that's just been, which is the neon Place Vendôme. For me, that was very filmic. It was mysterious. The, the, the black runway, to me, looked like wet tarmac. Um, and the shadows of the girls scribbling across that was, had its narrative. I felt there was something predatory. And then there was a, an androgynous theme happening, so I felt there was almost a sense of pursuit and of transformation. So for me, that's what I could bring to Carl. But he's already got there. What he likes to hear is, I think, what his ideas might mean. Mm. Which is different from John, who enjoys the layering and to be able to pull from that his story. I'd like to talk about the Couture collection. Could you talk us through the process of that collection? It starts in January, um, when at the, at the close of the last couture, when Carl turns to me, he says, the set for the next couture will be the neon Place Vendôme. I saw it in a dream. That's, so that's when that, pro, that suddenly he's sent out a sentence which actually is redolent of Place Vendôme at night. I saw it all as sort of, you know, flaving colours in my head. I didn't know it was going to be monochrome until I saw the maquette a month later. In terms of the clothes and the shapes, that has to happen after the ready-to-wear and has gone. And after the ready-to-wear, Carl then shoots his campaigns. So it's not really until May because there's another collection, and he shot a movie for his cruise collection, um, that he begins to listen to his mind's eye, because it is this sort of rather weird psychic thing that suddenly, on a piece of paper, there is a shape. And the shape, he did, you know, his first drawing was two, two figures. You had the linear, you had the perpendicular, you had the gamine, you had the androgynous the Chanel type, actually. And you had the curvy feminine. So within one, he wanted to tell the story of two sides of, of a woman so that each suit would be cut. Same fabric, same hat, same gloves, same boots, the shadow boots, all of it, but incredibly different shape. And is that 
indicative of the way that it tends? I mean, is there a formula? Is that indicative of the way it tends to be? Does it tend to be... The timing's like that. Like I the mean, warning it, shot at the couture and then... Yeah, it, so the, the warning shot and that will be... That will be a clarion call for the fabric research for Virginie and embroideries to, to be thinking neon, dark, place Vendôme, um, it's a winter collection, you know, iridescence, uh, darkness, navy blue, and then she had those flashes of magenta. Um, that, that really came from you know, Carl's first sentence. Then it gets tightened down, ratcheted down, with the fittings which happen every single day and for the, the, three, the three premieres um, Madame Jacqueline from the tailoring and Set Madame Cecile and Martine from the flue which is the dressmaking they have the twirls and those twirls have got to be right before they move into the fabric and that took I think two weeks before they got the new shoulder there was an enlarged shoulder to make the waist smaller and more fragile and the actual the basque of the jackets was incredibly... They, Carl wanted a lightness, he didn't want it to be stiff, so they were all lined um, often with feathers. The insides of things of a Chanel collection are so beautiful. There are hidden dresses, all embroidered, um, um, extraordinary feather embroidery this time. Well, actually, the feathers are sewn into embroidery shapes so instead of it being stitches it's actually feathers and i think that's the really amazing stuff to get lost in inside that workmanship and that possibility that couture offers to do something unimaginable something unimaginable and i mean carl always in the couture challenges the ateliers and everybody so even if it's the buttons there's no jewelry in the in the couture but the buttons have to be light jewels so they had little fragments of magenta ruboid crystal um, and actually the amounts changed on depending on the dress you'd say I want a little bit more red in that one or a little bit more blue in that so even the buttons up to the last minute were being made you know La Rue was actually having to make them which is you know it's incredible just to see that sort of that workmanship in action and the fact that people can still do that sort of thing is something that you kind of assume is lost. No, I, I mean, I think what's for me always um, really exciting is if you go to the ateliers, if you went upstairs, well, I do uh, uh, um, because after the show there's something called Le Pot d'Atelier, which is like a drink and a toast, and Carl goes up there to his family and everybody, all, all the petit men are going to Madame Jacqueline's Atelier, so they're all crowded in there and they've all got their drawing of the thing that they have made. Bear in mind it takes two, two people, two weeks to make one suit by hand. So they've all been all longer, um, and especially when there are bits of embroidery that are coming back. Um, um, but I go up there and I see so many young people, young guys, young girls, um, all with faces, all waving their drawings to have them signed by Carl. And I think that there's an energy there which is so alive. It's probably more alive there than in Ready to Wear.